Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. I think this is number nine through our series that we started this summer going through the Apostles' Creed. And so last week we talked about what it means that Jesus was raised from the dead and we talked about what it means that he ascended into heaven. If you missed it and any of the other ones, you can go to uh, our, uh, our sermon page at SoundCloud or on iTunes and you can go and check those out. But last week we talked about the resurrection and ascension, how the resurrection tells us who Jesus is. The resurrection means that the new age has begun. It's not the age of Aquarius or whatever. The new age actually began when Christ uh, ascended into heaven. Uh, the resurrection and ascension means that, that God's kingdom is at hand. The resurrection is the vehicle of our salvation, and the resurrection tells us that death has been destroyed. We also spoke briefly also about Jesus ascending to send the Holy Spirit to us. And then at the very end, we took that beautiful icon of the resurrection, and you had little prints, and, uh, and I had the big one, and then I used the icon of the resurrection to show you some of the themes that we've been talking about um, in the past couple sermon series, specifically uh, about the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. So today we get to the part of the creed where Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, and then we're also going to talk about him returning to judge the living and the dead. So when we speak of seated at the Father's right hand, we see a, a, lot, of, a lot of passages in Scripture here. First Peter 3.22 being one, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Romans 8.34 says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And Ephesians 1.19-20, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ? when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So what does it mean when we say Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? To sit at the right hand of the Father means to participate fully in God's majesty. Christ has dominion over all things. And we see this throughout Scripture, this language of Jesus being there at his right hand. Now there's an Old Testament basis for this. It's not like the left hand is better than the right hand. There's, there's a lot of things going on here. In Psalm, the Psalms, number 110, which a lot of theologians say is the most cited Old Testament verse in the entire New Testament, the psalmist says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. And it goes on and on and on. So in the New Testament, this is an important theme because it identifies something profound about what Jesus is doing. He is ruling over all things. He is ruling and reigning over all things. And that that reference that we read from Peter He references angels, authorities, and powers being subjected to him. This means everything in the cosmos. Everything is subject to Christ. The Dutch Reformed theologian Abraham Kuyper famously said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. 
mine. Everything is subject to him. That means he rules and reigns over all things, over all governments, over all earthly powers, over all spiritual powers. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He is ruling and reigning over all things. We also see him seated. And the significance of his seating, being seated, is this. A theologian named Thomas Oden, he cites St. Gregory the Great saying, sitting is a judicial metaphor for it is the judge's place to sit, right? So when Jesus is sitting, he's exercising his rule. He's exercising his reign. He's exercising his authority over all things. He's not sitting there kicking his feet up and saying, that stuff on earth really got me tired. I'm just going to kick up my feet, watch the Eagles win, just chill out. I don't understand people booing their own team who are Super Bowl champions and they wound up winning the game, but they still get trashed anyway, but we can talk about that another time. Fickle. The hearts of humans are fickle. Jesus is not sitting down because he, he's like, I need to get in my lazy boy. The cross really got me down and stressed, and I just need some time to myself. No, he is seated doing something. He is ruling. He is reigning. He is sitting in the judge's seat. Now, the text from Romans also mentions that there's something else going on here as well. It says that Jesus is interceding for us. He's interceding for us to the Father. So, when we talk about Jesus interceding to the Father for us, we have to keep in mind that I, and this is this is this is what I, I, I this is my opinion here. So take that this with a grain of salt. But I believe that in Western Christianity, right, we have overemphasized God's wrath. Okay, God's wrath, God's anger over sin. Right, we know God does have wrath. We see it in Scripture. We can't get around that. There is God does have wrath against sin, and that wrath will eventually be will be poured out. We'll talk a little bit about that today. But I think that we have overemphasized the wrath of God at the expense of his, his love and his grace and his mercy. And I understand why that happens, but I think we have to be very careful. Right? So when we say Jesus is interceding for us, it doesn't mean that God is just, he's waiting, right? He's waiting for us to mess up. And just when I do something wrong, he's like, oh, Pastor Mike, I've been waiting for you to do something wrong. He reaches behind, he takes a lightning bolt, and just as he's about to throw it down on me, Jesus steps in the way and says, no, 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 it's okay. Dad, Dad, leave him alone. He's okay. He's one of ours. And God's like, but I really want to smite him. And Jesus is like, no, don't smite him, please. It's okay. Let him go this time. He'll do better next time. And God's like, I got to throw this lightning bolt somewhere. So then he just, you know, tosses it over. And that's how we get lightning storms. That was terrible, terrible joke. Right? Or like God, like God is just waiting for us to step out of line so he can let loose fire and brimstone upon Northampton or Bethlehem or Wind Gap or, or Nazareth or Palmerton or wherever it is that you live. Like Jesus is kind of holding God back. And that's not what's going on when we talk about Jesus interceding for us. This intercession means, firstly, that we have access to the Father because of Jesus. 
And in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, it says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus is interceding for us as our high priest, which means we have direct access to the Father through him. Because the Son became human, he is able to sympathize with our weakness, with my weakness, with your weakness, the things that you struggle with, the things that I struggle with. Jesus sympathizes with us because he shares in our humanity. He sympathizes. We do not have a God, brothers and sisters, that exists outside from us, that just watches us, that just set everything in motion and then took a step back just to watch everything unplay that doesn't intervene, that doesn't interfere, that just stays far removed. That's a very popular notion of God. But that's not what we have. We don't have a God that is uninvolved in our lives. We have a God who becomes human who experiences what we've experienced from birth to death and all the pain and the struggles and the joys and the triumphs of what it means to be a human being. And because of this sympathy, because of this intercession, we have access to God. We can enter God's throne for mercy and grace with trust and with hope and with confidence, with faith, hope, fear, and love. We can draw near. theologian named Michael Bird says, this intercession is Jesus presenting his brothers and sisters to the Father, pleading their prayers for them, and turning the Father's gaze upon them, and he sees them as being one with his beloved Son, who is seated beside him. And when the Father sees the Son, when, when the Son is on the earth, right, a couple of times it says, this is my beloved Son, in who I am well pleased. And when we come into the throne of God's, the throne room to ask for God's mercy and grace, because of what Jesus has done for us, he looks at us and he says, there is my beloved son. Here is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. So then we get to the rough part of the creed. He will return to judge the living and the dead. Revelations 20 Revelation 20, excuse me, 11 to 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So I've mentioned this a little bit before. But when I was younger, I was really, 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 really into Bible prophecy. Really into Bible prophecy. Most of these types of books were about the end of the world, right? And the return of Jesus. There's titles like The Late Great Planet Earth. Does anybody ever remember that one? Hal Lindsey, Late Great Planet Earth. I predict 2000 AD, Revelation, God's grand finale, and the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, and my personal favorite, which I will never forget, 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988. That was my favorite. I was scared as a kid. I was like, Jesus is coming back in 1988. Will we be ready? Hey, he decided not to this time. 
But everybody wanted to believe this guy because he was a, like a, a physicist or an astronaut or, or uh, an engineer, I think, at NASA. So he was like, well, if he's from NASA and he's a scientist and he figured this out, he must be coming in 88. <laughs> then later in life, and this is a few years ago, there was a man named Harold Camping. He predicted the end of the world and the return of Christ in October 2011. People sold their homes their businesses. They emptied their life savings to get the word out that Jesus was coming back in October. Jesus did not return in October 2011, just like he didn't return in 1988. And camping died in disgrace. The lesson from this, brothers and sisters, to learn is that all of these books, all of these predictions, no matter how well-intentioned they are, they all have one thing in common. They are all wrong. They are all wrong. So I'm going to give you a piece of life advice. We're doing a little, this is going to be a sidebar from the actual sermon. A little piece of life advice. Indulge me. If you ever go to a Christian bookstore and you see a book and it's like Bible prophecy expert, put it down and run the other way. Or if you're on TV and there's a TV preacher, buy my book on prophecy and the end of the world. And just change the channel. <laughs> all right. Trust me. Trust me. These books are all wrong. They are all wrong. There's like a 99.999999% chance it's going to be garbage. So just run away. But this end time speculation, right? It's something the church has always faced. Like even St. Paul is writing to correct some notions already, even back then to the church at Corinth, that, that the resurrection had happened already. So the reason why I mention all of this is because all of this hullabaloo does something to diminish the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ at his return. And, as, and all we know for certain that he's coming back. We can't figure it out. We can't know the day, the seasons, or the time. We don't know. We will, never, we will never know. And it says he will return to do something. So we talked about how he's seated, he's reigning, and now he's returning to judge. The first time Jesus comes onto the earth, he comes in humility, right? He comes in secret. He comes to a little part of the world, kind of a little backwater province in the middle of nowhere, in secret. Right? But when we see the return of Christ, we see it different in glory, in his majesty. All will see him unveiled, and he's going to judge. Now, this word fills us with fear. Judge. We don't like that word, right? One of the favorite things people say in our culture now is, only God can judge me. Has anybody ever heard that? Only God can judge me. There's a meme going around, like a funny picture on the internet, where the one person's like, only God can judge me, and then the other picture is somebody saying, that should scare you. And it should, a little bit, right? Because we live our lives thinking that we will never have to answer for what we've done. That we will never be called to account for how, how we've lived, what we've said, who, how we've treated our neighbor, how we've loved God, how we've loved ourselves. We don't like this. this. This is uncomfortable. When we think about Christ's return to judge, we get it stuck in our minds also that it's a massive day of mourning where most of the human race will be consigned to hell forever and then the small faithful remnant, and usually that's only those belonging to a particular group, they're going to make it through unscathed, right? Indeed, the specter of judgment is one part of Christian theology that makes it distasteful to our ears. Because if Americans, we have this idea too, right, that what we do doesn't matter as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. 
The problem is most of the things we do have effects on those around us. And then you also have the thorny problems of human suffering and the reality of evil demonstrated through the entirety of human history, wars, conflicts, racism, murder, hatred. All of these cry out that something is wrong. And so we need Jesus to return as judge because it's a comfort, because it promises us that the evil that was judged on the cross will now finally be done away with, that those who perpetrated evil will answer for what they've done. One of the, the classic sort of arguments against Christianity has been this problem of theodicy. If God is good, why is there evil? If God is good, then why do good people suffer? And the return of Jesus as a judge, it might, to some people this might not be an, a good enough answer for them, but I think it's a beginning. I believe that that's a start, is that all of the wickedness, all of the evil that you can't look away from that's in your news feeds all the time. We have a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week news cycle. And all we keep hearing about how bad everything is, how terrible everything is, how everything is, 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 is going to be destroyed, everything is going to be ruined. <sighs> Sometimes it's good to take a step back from that. But all of those evil, all of the things that people do in secret all of the ways that people have been hurt, they will have to answer for that. Those who perpetrate evil will have to give an account for what they've done. Evil has been judged, and those who serve evil will themselves experience the consequences of evil. That's why it's important to keep that in mind, right? Because it's not just, you're gonna get yours one day, Jesus returning to judge is tied in with this Old Testament idea of the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh, where Yahweh is going to return and he's going to set everything right. He's going to, to make all things new. And the New Testament writers realize very quickly that this is the return of Christ, right? That God will not leave the world as it is, that he will make all things new. Jesus returning to judge is also our great hope. As St. Paul reminds us in the book of Titus 2, 11 to 13, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right, so this hope of his coming rule and in reign being fulfilled and fully realized in the earth, the hope of our resurrection, the hope that the salvation that we have been given will be completed. You know, we often ask the question or have it asked, has anybody ever walked up to you and said, hey, are you saved? And you're like, uh, yes. Are you saved? It's happened to me before. I'm sure it's happened to you. Are you saved? The question, of course, is yes, right? If we are in Christ, we have been saved, right? We have been born again. But it's not a static yes. It's not a static yes. Scripture also says that those who endure to the end will be saved. So like the coming of the kingdom, our salvation is experienced in part, but will only be something we fully experience upon the return of Jesus. This is why the New Testament refers to salvation as also a future experience and not just solely one in time. So the coming judge, Christ, him coming to judge the living and the dead, is the basis for our hope 
that all wrongs will be put to right, that all that was done in the dark will be revealed. And there are a lot of people who have done a lot of terrible things in the dark. But the coming of Jesus Christ in glory to judge the living and the dead is the promise that evil cannot win, that evil will not and cannot triumph. And the coming again in in glory of Jesus to judge also then has an effect too on how we live our lives, right? In the Isaiah text, it said, your God will come. In the book of James, we talked about the reading, we talked about good works, how the love of Christ constrains us to live, the things that we are tasked to do as Christians. These are things we will give an account for. And so when we talk about the return of Jesus in glory, we should always keep that in mind, what we've talked about today, that it is a hope for us and it is a comfort for us. A comfort for us. It's not something that should scare us, but it is something that should help us to live, like St. Paul said in Titus, self-controlled lives, to renounce ungodliness, to walk upright as we live through this present age, as we await for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will make all things new. And so, to our seated and soon returning King Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting, and is all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc.com. UCC. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you, and we hope to have you visit us.